Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. And we are back. Yes, we are. In the studio, we've got, um, we, we have a previous guest we've had on the show before, and I'm excited uh, about this. Russell, are you hooked up? I am. Yeah. Good, well, to, good to hear your voices again. You bet. Well, yours too, and we appreciate you joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Mr. Russell Hughes uh, joining us online here. We're in the uh, the studio here at Kansas City uh, for the sale ring. Russell um, owns and operates um, several things, but one of those companies is Hughes Realty Advisors, and that's kind of where we got to know him. Uh, parallel industry, you know, commercial real estate. Uh, we're also in the real estate and auction industry ourselves, so it uh, it was a natural fit. And Russell, we just, we appreciate that the knowledge you gave on the last show was tremendous and your willingness to come back again and, and give us a little bit of an update on some things. This is, uh, we'll make for a good show. Well, I appreciate you having me on again. I had a, I had a great time last time and, um, it's such an interesting time in, in residential and commercial real estate that, uh, we're definitely, uh, we've got some ground to cover. Yeah. Yes, we do. You and I had a conversation on the phone the other day, and we were trying to, uh, you know, trying to, we were just having a great conversation about the market and about things that have transpired over the last couple of years. And one, one of the things that kind of uh, keeps resonating with a lot of people is we're in a tremendous boom right now. Um, you had mentioned as an industrial market boom. Uh, and I thought that's that's kind of interesting because it's you know it 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 kind of expounds on it's not just oh you know everything is overappreciated everything but um, we can maybe start dissecting that just a little bit and talk about just a few specific segments uh, of the market and and what you're seeing uh, coast to coast mm -hmm. you know I know you've had some experience in California um, and uh, you're you're on the East Coast now. Where do you live, by the way? Where Where are you actually in? Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I'm jealous. So we're yeah, it's, <laughs> but you it's, were it's in the gorgeous. commercial real estate business out in Los Angeles <clears throat> at one time, right? I uh, I was in L.A. I've been in New York, and now I'm in Charlotte, and I'm still working all over the country. And um, yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, industrial. When we left Los Angeles in 2010, the vacancy rate in the Inland Empire, which is where uh, the vast majority of warehousing, uh, Port of Long Beach and Port of Los Angeles is still the, um, the biggest, uh, volume ports in the country. Uh, now that might be changing over the next couple of years because the Panama, uh, ships can now come through the Panama Canal and the East Coast ports, uh, and also Texas ports and Florida ports have really made a concerted effort to make that transition um, viable. Um, Charlotte has, uh, connected with an intermodal to the port of Savannah, the port of Wilmington and the port of Charleston. Um, so it's pretty seamless. Uh, the ships come in and they, they immediately go on a trading car and, and come into Charlotte, which is kind of dead center in the middle of the Eastern seaboard, which is why 
we are experienced just a a bonkers um, industrial market. But going back to the Inland Empire, when we left, it was 40% vacant. Um, my understanding is it's currently sitting at 1% vacant. Wow. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so, and, and and it's interesting. I saw, I was at a conference for the I-85 corridor a um, couple weeks ago, about a month ago. And an economist who I've got a great deal of respect for, uh, Red Shoe Economics, if you ever, they're on LinkedIn. They've got a newsletter. Uh, Casey's fantastic. He's, um, it, it's not a bunch of gobbledygook. It's, um, <clears throat> it's just fact-based. And he was saying that because of the unwinding of just-in-time, and for, for anyone out there who's not familiar with, with uh, how logistics and warehousing work, just-in-time was exactly what it sounds like. Um, a, a manufacturer would get the parts they needed that day, that day. And it worked fine, but it was extremely unresilient. And then COVID hit. And it just, you know, we're all experiencing it. We're going to get into the food shortages a little bit later. But we are totally unwinding just in time and turning into just in case. And Casey said that in order to pull that off, we need to build 500 million with an M square feet of warehouse pace per year for the next 10 years just to keep up with demand. Wow. Oh my God. And that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Because all the easy spaces have already been already been taken. Um, so it's it's just gonna be nuts. Is this and, and is that, this just primarily <laughs> around the ports and, and those areas where it's entering the country, or is that the, is that nationwide? <clears throat> and here's why that I asked that question. Yeah. Several years ago, after the market collapsed back in uh, let's say two thousand eight, you know, you end up mm-hmm. so mostly in eight and then and then on I think it was around 2010 or 11, um, we were dissolving commercial properties at auction around Las Vegas. I went out and remember going through that. Mm-hmm. Trainer, yep, we, yep. I had to get that Las Vegas auctioneer's yes. license, which was, you know, a headache that, and a half. that was Let like citizenship <laughs> yes. out there. It was, it was tough. <laughs> but we went through that process and we're looking at commercial properties for a bank that was out there. There was tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of square foot of warehouse space outside Mm -hmm. of Las Vegas that was setting that brand new, Mm -hmm. that was everywhere setting dormant. I wonder if that's been absorbed. I wonder if that's, if if that's occupied now. Oh, it's, it's been absorbed and it's been the, the, the biggest issue that, that Vegas and Arizona have right now is, is vacancy. They have no vacancy. And the fact that Lake Mead is a uh, is a couple hundred uh, feet below yeah. uh, normal levels, and they are at a point where um, the Hoover Dam's uh, turbine intakes are actually below uh, the the intake level is above the current water level. Uh, so I'm not sure how they're on Earth they're going to deal with that. Um, that's, but a, yeah, that is, that's a hydroelectric plant too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, besides water, just moving volume and besides the, the use of the water, you know, for, for, you know, whether that's, yes. that's irrigation or drinking water or whatever. I mean, it's mm-hmm. also, it's providing electricity if you can move those turbines. Yeah. It's, it's going to be really, 
there's an ancient Chinese curse that I think we're actually all experiencing. And it goes um, like this. May you live in interesting times. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I'd say we got that one covered. Yeah, yeah. we sure do. I'd say you're so, right. Yeah. yeah, to go to answer your question. Yes, that is nationally. There is something called the Golden Triangle, um, where 87% of all volume um, exists within. And that starts in Illinois, up in Chicago. It goes down to uh, uh, New Orleans, mm -hmm. and it cuts across to Mobile. And then it, it, it uh, doesn't make a perfect um, shoot back up again because it picks up the ports of uh, Savannah and Charleston and Wilmington. And then shoots back across. So 87% of that 500 million square feet needs to be built within that to keep up. Um, but then it is, there's a national, um, like I've got a logistics client who needs 10 75,000 square foot uh, warehouses across the country um, to handle the logistics that he's working on. So... It's going to be interesting, and there's going to be the law of diminishing returns at some point within that eighty uh, within that golden triangle. The um, trying to build another warehouse will become so logistically impossible that they'll go for the next best thing, and then it'll be the golden triangle will be expanded, and it'll just keep expanding uh, until there's warehouses everywhere. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting, and I don't know. I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen with the economy, um, which will more than likely slow it down if the economy slows. But at the end of the day, between the onshoring, between the companies coming out of China, because China was shut down and it, no one wants to do business there anymore, uh, the, the, the risks are too great. Uh, so between the onshoring, the semiconductor companies, the warehousing, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. It's just going to be nuts and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to be a part of. I watched a video of a, a, a transportation specialist in a, in a company in a global company. You remember when the large cargo, the container ship, uh, tried to, I guess it like, tried to turn around in a, in year, and, yeah. And it, <laughs> yeah, the evergreen and the evergreen and yeah. it backed everything up for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, what could go wrong? Uh, well, the thing that was interesting—the thing that was interesting—sixteen-point turn in the Suez Canal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to turn you know this ship around that's uh, you know a hundred and and forty foot long, and the canal's a hundred and sixty foot long. You better what be could go wrong. You better be pretty good. Yeah. I bet they had kids <laughs> in the back seat too, saying, "Don't make me turn this ship around." <laughs> there used to be there was this old truck. There was this old country song, this trucker song called "Give Me Forty Acres and I'll Turn This Rig Around." I don't nice. know if you remember that or not, but nice. So he was speaking, and the thing that really caught my attention out of that is he said the way that um, shipping supply and demand works globally. He, he said you won't feel the effects of what's happening in that canal for. A year from now. Yeah, 18 months. Or right. So, yeah. he, he said, it's not people just get up tomorrow and say, oh, crap, I'm not going to be able to buy a shirt or I'm not going to get that kid's bicycle or I'm not going to have lumber. I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, there'll be a shortage. Uh, there will be a shortage, but the shortage is coming. Mm -hmm. The shortage won't be tomorrow based yeah. on that. It's it's going to be down the road that you feel that. And 
I think I'm I'm hearing that more and more about the these assessments of impact into the global economies, into the shortage of supply. Everything that's taking place right now is it's the 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 effects of that are coming. Mm-hmm. And we're way, we're way over appreciated. There's a lot of inflation in the market. Now, that, yeah. there's parts of that we're already feeling today. Go to the gas pump. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and look at the price of fuel. Look at the price of a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk or um, eggs. We get our eggs off of the farm. Um, and it's, it's these cage-free eggs, you know, where we're trying mm-hmm. to eat a little healthier and do some things. There's an FFA teacher up here where we live. His wife, um, she raises some produce, and she has eggs. She just raised them 50 cents uh, a carton, a dozen, because of the price of chicken feed. Mm-hmm. She said, oh, it's yeah. costing me so much to feed the chickens, I have to go up 50 cents a carton on these eggs, or I can't afford to do it for you. Yeah. Well, and what's even scarier is I'm hearing lots and lots of stories from a lot of different areas that chicken feed is is not only going up in uh, exponentially in price, but that the uh, quality is so degraded that the chickens aren't even laying anymore. Oh wow! I mean, there's there's a estimate out there that by the end of the year, chicken uh, eggs will be twelve bucks a dozen. Oh my gosh! That's which just is that's hard to unheard fathom. of. That's hard to fathom. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you've got ninety seven. Uh, food processing plants, including one of the largest egg producers in the in the country, that have all burned to the ground this year. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a, a, a egg producer egg farm up in Minnesota that I think it was it was either six or sixty million eggs per day. Uh, I cannot remember which. I know it was the number six, and I know that there was a million. I can't remember if it was six million or sixty million per day, offline. Um, one of the largest ag producers in the country. And that's just one of 97 uh, manufacturing facilities. And I don't, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of wearing a tinfoil hat, but it, it does seem a touch suspicious. Um, I, I'm not sure you can blame this one on incompetence when it's so, um, it's multiple standard deviations outside of the normal number of uh, accidents that happen in, in food production facilities. Uh, per annum. So it's just, it's very weird. But to your point about the cascading and and when you would feel effects, I was looking to buy from my own personal portfolio building um, just south of us in Columbia, South Carolina. And initially I had it set up as an owner, a sale lease backed with the owner. And so financing was very simple. And then he backed out because he's like, I just want to go out of business. He's an older gentleman. And so I was trying to figure out how to get day one uh, revenue to get the deal back on track. And my buddy in, in logistics told me the the vast majority of, of uh, companies out there in the retail business are just now getting their spring or, or won't get their spring orders until August. Mm-hmm. So they will be looking for a six-month uh, stopgap in an already insanely tight market um, to take their product that they get in August and hold it somewhere until next spring. Um, Walmart has overordered so badly in, in hopes of just getting what they need that they're looking for a million square feet of warehouse right now for one year 
And they're actually, uh, I'm hearing multiple reports of Walmarts um, actually having um, traffic problems in their aisles because they have pallets of things in their stores. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just trying to the, find places to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is the only person with excess space right now is Amazon and Walmart and Amazon are like, you know, yeah, they, they, yeah. Yeah. sure. Bring it on over. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come for on. You. Don't worry. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. No, just put it right there. We'll, we'll, we'll move it for you. It'll be fine. Yeah. Back be while you're at it. Why don't we just buy you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so weird and it's so the system is so out of equilibrium right now that it's probably going to take years to get equilibrium back. Yeah. And this is, you know, we're talking a lot about just consumerism, consumer electronics, consumer products, you know, items that you're warehousing. How does that translate into the real estate industry? What's, what's going to be the effects of this on the real estate industry? I mean, it's, it's interesting because Amazon went from, they canceled about $70 million or million square foot projects all at the same time. They decided they were going to go, they were only going to own their, their projects. So that was weird. Um, what's really happening is you're getting a push down and, and commercial real estate in, in a, in a whole is very much like we're, we're talking about with the bifurcation and the haves and the have nots. There's so much over ordering that I think there's going to be a ton of retail sales coming up. Um, cause people over ordered mm-hmm. that said, you're going to still be paying overpaying for a loaf of bread and a gallon of gas. Well, yeah. Cause it had to sit somewhere for a year before you got to it. Well, because yep. it's bread and gas, well, it has yeah. a, sh- it yeah. has a short shelf life yeah. on it. And exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. So not to mention the fact that Ukraine, people don't realize that Ukraine is 35% of all global mm-hmm. grain exports, that Russia is the largest single exporter of nitrogen fertilizer in the world. Say that uh, again. Say that again about the Ukraine. Ukraine accounts for 35% of all global grains. I didn't know exports. that. Exports. Yeah, and they are that, currently landlocked because Russia is currently occupying their sea lane. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it is blockaded uh, in the Black Sea. 35% of the global grain? Yeah. I had, and, I had and, no uh, idea the Ukraine. the breadbasket of the world. And I didn't know yeah. the Ukraine supplied that much. I mean, I would have guessed it was, you know, in the 10s maybe, 10, no. 15, but not 35. That's a lot. The entirety of Africa, Lebanon, Syria, like Egypt, a lot of politically barely stable places get almost their entire grain um, uh, imports from Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and they won't get them this year. That's why when when I try to explain to people, they're like, oh, my God, global shortage. Yeah, I I get it. Formula, you know, peanut butter. I'm like, no, you, you don't understand. Without nitrogen fertilizer... Two billion people starve to death. Mm-hmm. The largest single producer of that is Russia. Their second largest, I mean, their, their, their largest export is petroleum. Their second is nitrogen fertilizer and potash. Their third is sunflower seed oil. Uh, between Ukraine and Russia, they account for an astronomical, I think it's like 25% of all uh, oil, seed oil 
exports globally. And, and the good news there is it's not like it's not it, like seed oil is in everything we eat. Oh, oh, wait. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, between the grains not coming out of Ukraine and the seed oil not coming um, and of course, the nickel deposits in Russia that are used in the EV batteries that everyone wants to replace gas, uh, it's just a train wreck. Um, and it's not going to get resolved anytime soon. Um, so it's just, again, it's nothing is in balance right now. Uh, and that's really a fundamental problem is nothing is in balance. Interest rates have skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Um, just nothing is in balance. So it's it's very difficult. You know, we had, uh, we had a conversation yesterday about the, uh, about the imbalance that we're seeing in real estate. And Mm -hmm. I keep, you know, I keep pulling this back to real estate, (laughs) but I think that it's been, it's been so out of, out of balance, you know, it's been so weighted towards the sellers uh, in the market. It takes a a healthy relationship between a seller and a buyer to have just good stabilized economies in the real estate Mm -hmm. industry. Um, And it hasn't been that way. You know, it's, it's properties are um, grossly appreciated right now. Uh, There's a very short supply uh, out there, which has obviously increased the demand so we now have, uh, it's a seller's market instead of a buyer's market. And I know the pendulum has a tendency to swing one way or the other, but we've gotten so far kind of off to the, say, the left over here to the seller side that we, we need to pull that back a little bit because buyers should have a few options and to be able to pay a fair price, you know, for yeah. property, but they should have some selection out there and, and it, uh, we, we need to get that uh, industry back in balance also. Well, the interesting thing there is we're already seeing the pendulum shift um, in certain segments of the, of the industry. Uh, residential is actually probably the most obvious example of that, but even in commercial, the office side. But to your point, the seller, it's been such a seller's market for so long that now what we have is an a, um, expectation problem. Uh, the buyers have already made the the correction in their calculus and how they underwrite deals, and the sellers still think it's the go-go days. Yeah, yep. And it's probably going to take six months before everybody gets onto the same page. Um, and, and and hopefully that that's not true. And 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 honestly, that's where real estate professionals really earn their money is is not telling your clients what they want to hear tell them what they need to hear yeah yeah instead of you know price adjusting later let's keep it at the right price right now so we can get it sold in the first place yeah well the other thing that you know there's other contributing factors also that um as we get back in balance and that the rising cost of money you know the interest rate starting to creep up that's uh you've been to your to your point you see that you see that most expressed in the residential markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because most people, you know, are going to live in a home. That's, that's a necessary yep. purchase. Buying a farm, buying a hunting tract, buying something else on the margin, that's, that's secondary money. That's, um, those, are, those tend to be um, 
disposable income, mm-hmm. you know, extra income that invests in those sometimes. So, um, but uh, as they well, raise these, kind of weird. I, I apologize for interrupting. It's it's also kind of weird because as people flee the stock market, they're looking to hard assets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember. I've been doing this twenty five years. I know that that in your world, farm uh, farms have always been an asset class. But in my world, it's only a recent phenomenon. And now it's it's a lot of things are getting bid up because it's not. It's not the luxury item. It's an investment. Yeah. And and it's a flight to security uh, from a, you know, I think I, I think it was Ray Dalio or uh, or El Arian said uh, people need to stop thinking of, of capital accumulation and start thinking of capital um, preservation. And um, and that's that's having an interesting impact on commercial real estate because. It is seen as as a hedge, correctly or incorrectly. It's seen as a hedge against inflation, and it's also seen as a physical asset that um, will will uh, be secure over time. That's exactly um, so where that's exactly where I was headed in that statement too. Is we're seeing a lot of money that are that's coming off of Wall Street or out of those those uh, stock or capital markets into uh, whole or real assets. <clears throat> Let's talk about production agriculture for just a second. Based on what you're telling us about Russia, um, Mm -hmm. the Ukraine, there's going to be a shortage of grains in the global market. What's that do to the corn price or the wheat price or the soybean price in the near future out there? And does that make it attractive here in the U.S., even though they're struggling with uh, fertilizer prices and the availability of fertilizer? If you can still produce small grains in this country, uh, what's what's that look like? I, I think that some people could be optimistic about that. Say, if I buy an agricultural production farm, I look for you know corn prices or wheat prices to double in the mm-hmm. next year. Yeah, I, I'll I'll answer that question this way. I uh, took some of my assets or uh, my my portfolio out of stocks and put them into a broad based. Um, agricultural commodity ETF. Um, the weird part about corn prices is corn, uh, as, as, as some people know, and, and I didn't know until I started planting corn in my own backyard. And now I've got, I'm six foot five and I've got corn that, that goes up over my head. And I'm very proud of that fact. Um, but it's, it's a tiny little patch and the amount of nitrogen input that it required was, was pretty significant. Um, combine that with the fact that the uh, the current administration is trying to solve their the the gas price problem by um, extending the ethanol content, uh, the winter blend ethanol, to the summer blend ethanol, um, which will incentivize people to take what little corn they're producing and turn it into ethanol. Yeah, um, which is going to you know create another imbalance uh soy prices the short answer is i think commodity prices are going to be sky high for the foreseeable future and i think because the united states even though the united states can produce more than enough food for its own population um all of these farmers are now doing business in a global market and so what happens in ukraine will 
dramatically impact U.S. prices. That's great insight, Russell. Uh, we're going to slip away. We're going to hear from our sponsors real quick. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about forecasting here in the future and and uh, what uh, what you you think the prognosis might be, you know, over the short and the long term. More from Russell Hughes in just a few minutes. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. And we're back in the studio with Russell Hughes. We're talking about... uh, Everything. Yeah. We're, we're talking about stuff costing too much, and uh, it, it's becoming harder to get. And it's amazing how supply and demand works, huh? Yeah, Econ 101 doesn't, uh, doesn't really care what, uh, what you think or about your feelings. It's weird that way. Yeah, yeah. If, I, uh, if there's only a few of them, they cost more. Yep. And uh, if they're, you know, if they're plentiful and scattered all over the country, well, then that's uh, that suppresses the pricing models. But um, we're seeing some interesting things happen, uh, you know, obviously over the last couple of years. And real estate industry has trended uh, has trended upward. It's um, many would say it's it's definitely out of balance right now. Of course, mm-hmm. most sellers say no. It's exactly where it should be. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 not, you know. It's um, there's just there's not enough inventory out there, and and the pricing models have been uh, very very friendly uh, for sellers. But um, that also it it puts the buying audience at a disadvantage. And one of the brokers in our company out of Florida the other day, he said, you know, we're getting ready to balance the scales out here a little bit, and that's just that makes for healthy business. Mm-hmm. My uh, my dad was a big believer in that. You know, he told me <clears throat> one time, he said, I'll tell you something interesting about long-term relationships. Um, 
he said, if you have something and you sell that to somebody else and they either hang on to it for a short period of time or they turn around and sell it, they should be able to make a little bit of profit off of that also. Yeah. There mm-hmm. should be there should be at least two transactions in that. Now you said if you do that, what you're doing is you're building something for the future. You're building relationships. Um, and it goes back to the old adage about um, you can shear sheep, you know, you can shear sheep many times, but you can only skin it once. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and he's a hundred percent right. I, I do think that there's just it's it's not always it, it's not that you're doing something unethical. It's just that you're out of balance in business, and and one of these days you you look up and you say, "Why, well, you know, I don't know what's going on. I can't get anybody to do business with me." And I said, "Well, they, they can't make any money from you. They, yeah. it's just not profitable for them to do business yeah. with you. You've you've skinned too many sheep." So, uh, yeah, I think that there's, I think there, if we're if we're paying attention, I think that there's some really good industrial uh, lessons built into this transition we're going through right now. Yeah, and I think I think the key what you just said two uh, two things. When I train junior brokers, I always tell them the same thing. I say never take that last dime off the table. Don't ever do it because the worm will turn, the market will shift, and if you do that, if you <clears throat> that last dime represents someone's ego in a lot of times, or 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 more accurately, it represents their dignity, mm-hmm. and they'll re- they'll. Re- you take their dignity off the table because you can, and they'll remember it. They will absolutely remember it. But the other point is we're going through a weird transition where we were completely out of whack uh, between COVID and the stimulus money and the, the, the price of all asset classes. I've been calling this the everything bubble for a while. Because I knew that when it popped, everything was going to pop. There mm-hmm. was going to be no safe haven. And and that's what's happening. I mean, I learned how to trade crypto during COVID. And, and thank God I got into it when I did. And thank God I was, I was, I was uh, lucky enough to find some people that knew it way more than I did. And I, and I followed them religiously. And I, and I tried not to uh, get greedy about it. And every once in a while, I got a little too greedy and, and learned my lesson. Um, on on small amounts, and, and luckily I learned my lessons small, yeah, um, which is great. But we are going through a transition right now where some asset classes are going to get decimated, and some asset classes are going to soar, um, and some asset classes are going to overshoot their mark. And when we overshoot the mark, we tend to get um, crushed. I was representing countrywide home loans back in 2008. And I will never forget because I was also representing KB Homes nationally. And mm-hmm. KB Homes was very much by the book. And so, and they had a mortgage division that they sold to countrywide. And when I represented KB Homes mortgage, they had to put a physical wall between the home building side and the mortgage side. They were very absolutely buttoned up. And Countrywide was like, yeah, just get us near a Starbucks and we'll use their Wi-Fi. Um, And that that was I was like, what the hell? I know how it's supposed to be done because I represent this company over here that does it that way. And you guys are talking about transmitting financial documents over public Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. 
so not I'll never safe, forget. To, safe to say not as buttoned up. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And, and the, the reason I'm telling this story is I heard one recently as it relates to industrial development, which scared me a little bit because it, it, it echoed it, it, you know, history doesn't, uh, doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Mm. Um, the, uh, a local economic development person just south of here in a, in a very popular county for industrial development was talking about what's called a forward sale. And I hadn't, I, I didn't really, I had heard the name, but I, I didn't really understand what a forward sale is. But it's basically where you're selling a project um, as that's just a slab. It's just a graded uh, piece of land. And a, and, a, uh, and a set of drawings. Um, and normally those traded a, at a discount and it's normally an opportunity for a developer to kind of get out of trouble. But now they're being traded at like a 50 basis point, a half a percentage point discount over a stabilized asset. And give it the market conditions, that actually makes sense. What scared me was it was a $20 million purchase and they didn't even bother to call the permit office to see if they had issued the permit. Mm. And when you're skipping the most basic levels of due diligence in order to shovel money out the door, bad things start to happen. Yeah. Cause it's not going to take long before bad people start realizing, Oh damn, I can just, I can just make stuff up. Yeah. I yeah. can just say this yeah. and sell it and, Beat yeah. yeah, yeah. That and process will check will, until it's too late. That mm-hmm. process will get looser and looser until it's just it's outright criminal. Yeah. Yep. So um, that scared me a little bit, but I think the office market is is interesting. Uh, like places like New York and San Francisco, I don't, I don't, and and to a lesser extent, Los Angeles, I don't think they're ever coming back. No. I don't think they're ever going to come back to the glory. There's too many people that have moved too many employees either remotely or to different parts of the country mm-hmm. and they don't need to pay $175 a foot to be in Manhattan when they can pay 36 and get the exact same productivity out of their people and their people are happier because they can afford a house. And that's why what Charlotte is, is uh, the last number I heard the 140 people a day are moving here. Wow. Um, which, you know, obviously it, 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 it creates the imbalance with the housing market, but at the same time, it's, it, it also creates a little longevity. Yes. Um, so it's, and, and the infrastructure is going further and further out. Um, and I think that's really, if, if I could provide one suggestion to people in the market, it's skip over the obvious and go to the next level, whatever the next concentric ring, wherever you live, wherever you work is, look at that next ring and start trying to figure out how to make deals work out there. Cause they're coming. Yeah. So be, be ahead of it. Be in front of the curve and in, in front of that wave. And it might be a couple of years before they get there. And depending on what happens with the economy, it might be three years, four years before they get there, but they'll get there. And that's where you can really create the value. 
Russell, it's it's interesting if you if you break real estate into three primary buckets: residential, uh, let's just call it land, and the and encompass mm-hmm. you know all types of land, and commercial. And that that may incorporate a little bit of like commercial development land in interior in urban markets, but mostly you know retail, uh, office, um, you know big box. But if you break that into those three buckets, um, commercials always kind of been the tortoise in the room as far as mm-hmm. moving, you know, days on market and, and being able to move. And then we went through the correction back in in two thousand seven, leading into two thousand eight, and and so on. You know, five years later, there's there's all this commercial inventory that just during that it just got crushed in the marketplace, and then it was setting vacant. Um, the interesting thing that I I think we're learning is, uh, and this may just be evolution in in business. This is how things evolve. Is you know, several years later after that, then out of nowhere, COVID hits. Mm-hmm. And it starts restricting people from getting together and and um, community. Uh, you know, what am I trying to say? Um, working inside of an office environment, um, you know, collectively and at arm's length. And so they're starting to work from home, and uh, our company included. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, these offices were just they they were like graveyards in there. You just walk through, and there's there's two people in the entire building. You know, and everybody's working from home, and but quickly. It forced us to start developing communication strategies like Zoom meetings, mm-hmm. how to um, start using electronic signed documents, things that have been around for a while, and we use them in different elements of the business. But now we're using them internal to facilitate our daily operations in these companies, large companies, you know, that have thousands and thousands of employees, and they're they're learning how to operate differently. I agree a hundred percent with what you said. I, I think that there's been a paradigm shift in the way that those businesses operated prior to and, and after COVID. And it, it, you know, it may end up in the long run. Change is always hard for everybody, individuals or companies, but it may end up being a blessing down the road. Um, yeah, we're, we're just, we're, we're seeing the same thing. I'm curious what happens to the office space in, uh, in the U S based on, on the heels of that. I, I think I, I've had the theory for, for a couple of years now that office is going to wind up being net, net the same. And I, and, and, and people look at me like I'm crazy and I'll tell you why. Um, before COVID, everyone was talking about culture. Corporate culture was the it thing and the, the axiom that, um, corporate culture beats everything. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a culture, you, you don't have anything. No amount of sales training, no about anything will, will, will trump culture. And I agree with that. And although some people have been successful at onboarding employees during COVID, I don't think you can maintain culture remotely. So I think at the very least, three days a week, people are going to be back in the office. Now, the other... Um, the other uh, thing paradigm that will be unwound was the um, what I jokingly refer to as the sardinification of, of the office environment. Yeah. Um, when I started in my career in commercial real estate, the average uh, per square foot um, metric that we used was 250 square feet per person. And that was inclusive of offices and cubes. 
by the time COVID hit, we're down to 150. That's insane. Yeah. Shoving as many people in there as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cramming them in like sardines. Share a cubicle. Yeah. And COVID kind of unwound that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think net-net is going to wind up being the same amount of square footage occupied. The older suburban office um, product, I think, will largely be converted into multifamily. Hmm. Um, and that's already taking place. Yeah. Um, because that's where the demand's at, where we have a housing correct. shortage. Yeah. Correct. Um, so it, it, we will get back to equilibrium. It will happen in interesting, creative ways. Um, there's already there's office towers in Charlotte that are being broken up into um, residential, commercial, retail. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will it will call for creative solutions to hopefully once in a generation problem. Hopefully we don't go through this again. Although who the hell knows these days. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think as long as the city itself isn't decaying from the inside, i.e., you know, San Francisco and New York um, and Chicago. Wow, Chicago. My God, their tax base just got completely hollowed out this week. Uh, Caterpillar, Citadel. I mean, three huge corporations are all bailing on Illinois. Mm. Um, so they're going to be screwed uh, is the technical term. They've had a significant increase in their taxes. No, they lost a significant they, increase in who was paying those taxes in the first oh, place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and their taxes the were already high. The biggest companies there left, yeah. and they're not paying in anymore. So yep. now Caterpillar the citizens left. will be paying in instead. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Citadel, uh, Citadel Hedge Funds was the largest single taxpayer in the, on an individual basis, the owner of Citadel, and they moved to Miami. Um, Caterpillar moved to Dallas and John Deere. I don't know if John Deere is still there. I think they might've made the announcement. They're still there for reasons I'll never understand. They're out, um, of, they're out of Moline, right? They probably uh, got a nice little I think paycheck they were, or nice little tax cut to stay there. They were, yeah. Founded, yeah. they were founded, I believe in Moline, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, what, and what's I'm causing sure these, big what's causing these companies to move? Why, why is Caterpillar moving? The biggest problem that all corporations have are twofold, uh, supply chain and, and finding good employees. Mm-hmm. And with the crime rate, in the, the taxes in Illinois are through the roof. The mismanagement, both at a state and local level, are epic. And, and the, um, the crime rate in Chicago is, is an epidemic, which sickens me. I love Chicago. It's a beautiful city. It was Growing up, it was the safest place you could go. It was always clean. It was always, you know, there was always parts of Chicago that you avoided, but there's parts of every major city that you avoid. But now it's citywide. Yeah. And the mismanagement uh, of the mayor of, of Chicago is just so bad. And she's at war with everyone. She's at war with the police union. She's war, at war with the firefighters. She's at war with the city council. And the people are suffering. And so if you're having trouble hiring people to begin with, uh, you don't need the additional headwind if no one wants to live there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's going to make her job even tougher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel bad for Chicago. I mean, it, it's interesting. If you can somehow short Chicago real estate, do it. Um, if there's any REITs out there that have heavy exposure in, in, in Chicago, short them because it's going to be a disaster. Mm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, Russell, what are we missing? That's uh, that's a lot of info, man. That is. That's <laughs> yeah, me I and mean, Sean are about to go buy a bunch of property out in the middle of nowhere, put some warehouses on it, start building building warehouses. Yeah. Yes. Beans, bullets, and band aids, folks. Yes. That's what we <laughs> Beans, all need. Bullets and band aids. Beans, bullets, and band aids. Yeah, that's that's the best advice I can give. Write that I, down. I, that may be the uh, title for this show. Beans, today. bullets, and band aids. I like it. Oh, I like that. Seriously, write that down, Sean. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it locked away in this epic memory mm-hmm. stored in the memory okay. bank. We'll come back and it'll be like talking what, about futures what was it with again? Russell. <laughs> band band of beans. What? Uh oh, we've lost our guy here. So let's. Uh, that's all right. I will just stay live here. I'm just going to okay. bring him back in. Okay. We're going to dial Russell back up. We got disconnected. Yeah. Hey, there you go. That's okay. Sorry. No, that happens. You know, when we're doing these telephonically, that's once in a while. um, It's just you're talking along and it doesn't like get staticky or anything. Uh, The call just drops on these cell phones. I was talking to somebody on my cell phone the other day and he was just chattering along and and really good signal and just click. It just shut off and gone. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, where where did I where did I click off? Beans, bullets, beans, and bullets, band-aids. and band aids. <laughs> beans, bullets, and band aids. All right, so I was I was trying to leave on a positive note. <laughs> I, I genuinely think that production is coming back to this country. I think this product. I think the United States might come out of this in the 2030, 30 to 2035 timeline with a lot of increased domestic manufacturing. Good. And we might wind up being in a in a stronger position if we can if we can stop hating one another long enough to have I we can always disagree. Yeah. But we need to stop vilifying each other for disagreeing. We need to agree to disagree. Yeah. I've got a lot of friends. I'm very blessed to have a lot of friends that I fundamentally disagree with about almost everything. That doesn't make them bad people. Yeah. They're good people. They want the same thing I do. They just fundamentally disagree on the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the challenge, the, the challenge, and I, I heard an economist say this exact same thing you just said. And he, in fact, he gave the same timeline. He said, I think it'll be after 2030 or later before we, we start to see maybe uh, the true impact. But he said, I think industry's coming back to the USA. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we're we're an industrialist society early on. We've gotten away from that, he said, and, and maybe we've come full circle. We're coming back. The, the challenge that he posed, and I, I would agree with this, is we've went through some societal changes in, in, our, in our society, in our DNA, in the makeup, versus the people that, you know, originally were coming over here yeah. and, and yep. in, uh uh, immigrants that were coming into this country, they were willing to roll their sleeves up and go to work every day, chasing the American dream. If I work hard, yeah. I I can get rewarded for that. Um, 
in this the generation that's coming up right now, you know, and I hate to lump everybody into into one uh, potato sack, but the reality is um, it's getting harder to find people that are willing to go to work and, and do a good day's work. Yeah, you know that uh, are laborers. Uh, everybody kind of wants to be an, an armchair quarterback. Which is funny because I, I, I have been having an ongoing debate with my daughter um, who's now 14 and starting high school. And I'm like, kiddo, you know, you're not going to get an art degree. I'm yeah. not spending <laughs> yes. the money to go send you to get an art degree because it comes with a Marxist indoctrination mm-hmm. and I'm not doing it. And look at trade schools and look at CNC operators. Hell, we're, we're all in commercial or we're all in real estate of some sort or fashion. Do you know what the average age of a surveyor is in this country? Uh, 58 gonna, years old. I was going to yeah. say 60, 65 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. We have no replacement for surveyors. How on earth are we going to get deals done without surveyors? Yep. So it's a huge wide open chasm. I mean, and, and working with your hands is so much more rewarding yeah. um, and, and, and lucrative. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be the challenge, though, Russell, with firing these plants back up. Somebody uh, or something is going to need to stand on that assembly line and put yep. that stuff together. You know, somebody's got to go out and do HVAC work. We've got to have electricians. We've got to have, you know, just g- general contractors and tradesmen, tradeswomen, tradespeople. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, or if you're doing it by a robot, somebody's got to operate that robot, yeah. you know? And, yeah. right there, and someone has to know how to fix it and all, all the rest of that stuff, well, too. Yeah, yeah. Someone has to manufacture the robot to yeah. begin with and yeah. teach how to do things. But there's a physical effort that goes along with that, and that is the uh, the economist that I was listening to, and he gave that same kind of uh, a prognosis that you did and, and maybe that same general timeline, 2030, 2035. Maybe we think, see the tides changing a little bit in the USA again. Uh, but who who's going to stand uh, on that line? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that comes back to the tradesmen are, are just absolutely making a killing right now. So once the yep. kids coming out of school realize that, oh, I don't have to go to college for four years to make a killing, that's when the titles start changing, really, is when we start teaching the kids early on that, hey, you can make a fortune doing this right now because no one's around mm-hmm. to do it. You're saying people Why? are motivated by money? A little bit. Huh. That is just shocking. <laughs> what? Yeah. Right now, the biggest the biggest impediment are the parents. Mm-hmm. The parents have been brainwashed into believing that college is the answer. You should have seen, to your point, you should have seen the, the look on my daughter's eyes when I said, yeah, you know, a, a CNC operator makes $100,000 probably in year two. Yeah. Yep. And they'll pay for your education. They'll pay for your apprenticeship. They'll put and you're you working in a clean yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. Um. You're, you're in an air conditioned environment. Um, yeah, she, she, her eyes kind of lit up a little bit. Um, but yeah, we gotta, we gotta unbrainwash the parents and, and tell them to stop brainwashing their, especially with COVID. We, we took these kids out of school mm-hmm. for years and tried to get them to learn remotely. And half of these kids have no support system at home yeah. and they completely failed miserably because they had no one to help them. Yeah. And now they're irreparably behind. They're never catching up. It, we can pretend like they will, but they won't. Yeah. But what they could be, they could have amazing lives if someone would just take them uh, under their wing 
and, and say, listen, I need the help and you need an education. You're my new apprentice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, for sure. And that, and that may or may not be the parent, you know, that may be somebody in an industry that's trying to bring them in, but at, at the home, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and this all starts in the home environment. Yeah. We got to get back to being parents and stop worrying about being our kid's best friend. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that, that at the, at the end of the day, and this trade conversation that we're talking about, getting back into Votex and trade, uh, uh, organizations or trade education, there's a guy that pushes that really hard and has for a long time, Mike Rowe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I love listening Dirty to Mike jobs Rowe. Guy. Dirty yeah. Jobs. I, I mean, that, that, guy. that guy is a huge, huge advocate for the trade industries. And he said, it's the biggest missed opportunity in front of these kids today mm-hmm. is get out yep. there and take advantage of that and stop falling for uh, this brainwashing, as you put it, Russell. Um, college is not necessarily the answer for everybody. Well, and I think college is overpriced for everybody nowadays too, for your average family. So I think that's going to help kind of push people as well. You bet. In the next 10 years or so is what we're talking about. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. Great conversation. We kept you a little long, Russell, but uh, we we greatly appreciate you being on the podcast show with Trina and I. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a pleasure. It's always wonderful talking to you, you both and and uh, kind of solidifying all the different fragments of information in my brain. So I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Well, thank you for joining us in the studio today. And ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this episode. We'll see you next time inside the sale ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sale Ring.